If you brought your Bible, I hope you turn with, turn with me Second Corinthians chapter 2. Second, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 3, my fault. Chapter 3 of Second Corinthians, one of the great, great texts in the Word of God. Today we began a brand new series called More, and today's series sermon title is More Like Christ, Spiritual Transformation. We're going to dig deep into where it all begins. Turn with me again, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with the 12th verse to the 18th verse, having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not as Moses who used to put a veil over his face that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away, but in, but their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. I want you to really draw yourself into that phrase unlifted, unveil, uh, because it is removed in Christ. Verse 15. But is this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, holding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord Jesus, be acceptable in your sight. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for all that you're doing here at First Baptist. We thank you for your word it never returns void. And Father, as we unpack your word today and we study your word today and we take principles from your word today, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we indeed leave here with a greater understanding of spiritual transformation more so than ever before. And as we launch through these next few days and months and years together here as a body of Christ, I pray, Father, that we will understand the importance, the need, the necessity of total spiritual transformation. And Lord, we love you and we do praise you. and We do thank you for all you're about to do in this place. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said... Amen. Throughout history, throughout history, Satan has desperately sought to confuse the issue of salvation. He, he makes it a matter of some kind of human effort. You see, he was around when scripture was written, so he realizes that we cannot be plucked out of the hand of God once we are saved by his glorious grace. But he tries to make some effort into deluding us into thinking that it's some kind of human effort. One of his most devious and effective schemes has always been to offer some external or ceremonial or sacramental re religious effort on our part as a substitute for true gospel by saving grace of Jesus Christ 
through the person of Jesus Christ. Such false religious beliefs do not provide salvation, but they actually delude us into thinking that because that, that provide that salvation, into thinking that we are so religious, we're saved by his grace. And that could not be further from the truth. Folks, I know a lot of religious people, they're going to spend eternity in hell today because they never had a true relationship with Jesus Christ. So today, I want us to understand that spiritual transformation begins from the inside out. It's a true understanding that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord, Lord of the world. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of everything. And our religious beliefs or our our attempt at being religious people will will confuse us into having not a salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's world, the, that satanic, uh, ritualistic, counterfeit religion took the form of Judas, uh, uh, Jewish legalism. He, it took the form of that, which was an advocate within the church by the Judaizers. You know the story. The Judaizers aggressively propagated their misrepresentation of the purpose of the Old Testament. As seen, no one, no one in this age or any age ever has come to saving grace by keeping the law. It is only by salvation through grace, through faith, through faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot perform enough ceremonial religious acts to receive salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We have to completely turn our lives towards him. We have to completely trust him. Paul wrote on to the church at Galatians, he said this, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The writer of the book of Hebrews dedicated an entire chapter of noble men and women who trusted Christ by faith, trusted Christ by faith, not by keeping the law. And in Hebrews chapter 12, he went on to say, testified to those heroes of the faith as a great cloud of witnesses testifying the spiritual benefit of living by faith. Our text today, Hebrews chapter 3, excuse me, our text today of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, therefore having such hope. Hope is the confident belief that God will fulfill all that he has promised in the new covenant. The new covenant was ratified at the cross. And though its benefit has always been appropriated by faith, but the fullness of the hope will not be experienced until believers receive their total justification or their total glorification, I should say. You see, once we receive Christ by faith, it was ratified at the cross. God demonstrated his own love towards us. And while we were sinners, what? Christ died for us us he paid the penalty for our sins at Calvary's cross so the cross ratified our salvation the new covenant is Christ-centered the veil that obscured the old covenant is only removed in Christ Jesus and the revelation of the old covenant in the old testament is a mystery apart from him but now notice this but Christ has come and ratified that new covenant by his death therefore though those of us, those who come to faith in him, spiritual perception is no longer impaired and everything becomes clear and spiritual transformation completely becomes real. 
Spiritual transformation becomes real once we realize that we are saved by his glorious grace. Now, I'm wondering why some of us get it and some don't. I think we can answer that in the rest of the message in just a moment. Paul borrowed in this particular passage, he borrowed the image of salvation as a veil being taken away from Moses unveiling himself in the presence of God. If you go back to Exodus chapter 34, we won't take time to do that, but in Exodus chapter 34, verse 34, here's what it says. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. He would remove his veil. He wanted to see a direct vision of God's glory. So that was sinners who turned to faith in Christ, who turned to God through Jesus Christ, the veil is taken away and they have a clear vision of the glory of God as reflected in the face of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He took that from that passage to drive home the point. Now, I started thinking about this. What is the essence of the work of the Holy Spirit? In the Old Testament, you know this. Those of you that are Bible scholars in this room, you know this. The essence of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was creation, empowerment, and revelation, and regeneration. To a degree, that holds true in the New Covenant, in the New Testament as well, believers. The essential work of the Holy Spirit in salvation is transformation. The essential work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is revealed in transformed lives. You see, when we see people who call themselves Christ followers and act anything but, I'm wondering if they're truly transformed. You say, wow, that's sitting in judgment. No, I'm just a fruit inspector. You see, if I don't see, if you and I don't see fruit, if you don't see fruit in me or any pastor or any minister or any person who stands up and proclaims himself as a Christ follower, is there true transformation take place in their life? You see, salvation is by grace. The word transformed, translated in the present passive participle of the verb metamorphosis, refers to believers' progression in its sanctification. Brothers and sisters, ceremonial, sacramental religion offers nothing to new covenant believers, nothing to the new covenant believers. No religious activity offers anything to do with salvation. It is our act and our blessing unto the Lord. It does not provide justification. It has no power to sanctify. It will not lead to glorification. The Christian life does not exist in rituals, but in a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. We could fold the tent up and go home on that statement right there, but I have more. Brothers and sisters, if you look at verse 18, Verse 18 of our text, it is our focal verse to understanding true spiritual transformation. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the, the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the image, uh, image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Kingdom results means the supernatural activity of God in being expressed to the body of Christ and being reflected in changed lives of people. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If we don't see a course correction in a person's life, I dare say they are truly transformed. I dare say they are truly saved by his grace. 
I can say that there have been times in my life that I have wondered if I am saved by his grace, by some of the actions that I've had. So we all need a spiritual relationship checkup from the heart up, amen? We all need a clear evaluation from time to time. The most spiritual person you may know on your, in your life needs a spiritual evaluation. We all need that. So the message truth says this. It's a long sentence, but I want you to read it along with me. Spiritual transformation is God's work of changing a believer into the the likeness of Jesus by creating a new identity in Christ and by empowering a lifelong relationship of love, trust, and obedience that glorifies God. Now, I want you to just let that baptize over you a little bit. I want you to take it home and just wash yourself with that a little bit. That statement is amazing. Spiritual transformation is God's work in changing a believer into the likeness of Jesus by creating a new identity in Christ and by empowering a lifelong relationship of love, trust, and obedience that glorifies God. The last phrase is the most important. It doesn't glorify the First Baptist Church. It doesn't glorify the First Methodist Church. It doesn't glorify you. It glorifies God. He receives all the glory when true spiritual transformation is taking place. You know, when you look back at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and by the the way, why don't we just look at it? Because I think it's it's worthy of us taking another look. Many of you studied this and have read this and digested this for many, many years. But the Lord's standing and he gives us these final commissioning commands, so to speak. So as we launch into this series, I want us to look at what he said here. And we're not going to spend a lot of time. We may come back and look at it another time. But look at what he says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Now, many of you that have been Christ followers for many years, you've read that, you've studied that, you've digested that, you've taken that to heart. You believe those scriptures. You believe what he says there. The words of our Lord giving us that final commissioning. He is actually saying to the church, must be teaching new disciples to obey everything that he commands. Not just some of the stuff, not just the stuff that you think you ought to line up with, not just some of the things that you think are easy to line up with. It says teaching them to observe all. Now, where I come from in Alabama, that word all encompasses everything. It means everything. Teaching them to observe all I command you. You see, folks, let me tell you something. When I think about these two main purposes of the church, evangelism and discipleship, in my history as a minister over 34 years now, now having served nine churches as transitional pastor, five of which in Alabama, four now in the state of Georgia, And until the end of this message, I'm going to still be your transitional pastor. Maybe not after this message, but I'm still going to be through the message. 
And so I'm the, I, I've been involved in these churches and I've noticed some things about churches and have studied churches over the years. Even as an itinerant speaker, as the quote unquote revivalist or the evangelist that came in and preached the meeting, the series of meeting that we, we held in August or the spring or whenever we decided to have those things. I have noticed that we divide those two. We separate them. We have evangelism and we have discipleship. Well, I want you to know, I I have studied this and I really believe beyond a shadow of doubt that I am correct in this assessment. There are some in evangelism, there are some as lay people that are geared, wired, made up, their spiritual makeup, their personalities lend itself to be that aggressive in sharing the gospel. They're, 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 they're more evangelistic in nature. I mean, they would witness to a fire hydrant if they felt like it had a soul. I mean, they are so excited about that. I mean, they are so jazzed up about that. They want to do that. That's their sole purpose in life. And I commend those people. You say, well, you're an intended evangelist. Well, I was more of a revivalist. I was more of an encourager of the church to be about reaching the masses, not just having the mass evangelism. And that's what been my whole kind of ministry over these years. And so I believe in evangelism. I believe that it is a necessity that we speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we articulate the message of salvation to those and let the Lord do his work. Amen. I believe it's all about him doing the work, not about us. If it's about us, if I can save you, you're eternally lost. I can just tell you that right now. You will spend eternal, eternity in hell separated from the love of God if I can save you because I don't have the power. But I do have the message of the power indwelled in my life. And every one of us that are Christ followers, we have that. And so we have those people that are geared, wired, and they're, they beat to the drum. I want to share. Man, they walk around with their King Jimmy whacking people on the head with it. Hey, they're so excited about the gospel. They want to preach the gospel. They want to stand on the street corners and preach the gospel. And that's great. Hallelujah. Amen for those people. But then you have those on the other side of the coin. And they want to sit around in their holy huddle and they want to disciple one another. And I, that's, discipleship is great. It's fantastic. Getting deeper in the word is outstanding. We should all strive to get deeper in the word and knowing the word and discipling and holding one another accountable and encouraging one another in the faith. But I find a lot of times those type of people in the churches that I've served in, in the churches I've been in, those type of people, all they want to do is sit in their holy huddle. And they want to disciple one another. And I, I, I don't, I'm not a fisherman, but my buddy Olin is. And Olin was telling me about a trip he just went on. And he was out there in the Gulf, 34 miles out of the beach from the Gulf, fishing. He didn't have to go that far. He could have gone to Publix. In the case, right there in front of you. Already filleted, ready to go. But no, he goes out 34 miles. Now, if he caught all those fish, now he told me he had to throw a bunch of them back because he couldn't keep them because they were out of season. I don't get that. If you catch them, y'all be able to keep them, amen? But they say you can't certain times of the year. But you see, we could not clean the fish that he caught 
until we catch them. So we've got to catch the fish before we clean them. Discipleship is part of the cleaning process. It's part of the, the getting the, 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 the scales off of us so that we can understand the goodness and the power of the meat that's within you see, folks, I'm trying to make it as simple as I can possibly put it in my brain so that we understand evangelism without discipleship is nothing. Neither is discipleship without evangelism. They're two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And a healthy balance of both makes a great church moving forward. Folks, let me tell you something. Spiritual transformation takes place when we get understanding. Yes, we are commanded and commissioned to go tell the story. And yes, we are commanded and commissioned to teaching those to observe all I command you to go and tell the story. It is that simple, brothers and sisters. But we find a lot of people sitting back doing neither because we've gotten caught up by putting on the religious robe of our denominational belief or the tribe we aspire to or the thing we've always done before. We've never done it that way before. And so they sit and do nothing. Folks, let me tell you something. Evangelism and discipleship are two sides of the same coin. New believers need to understand and live the true meaning of discipleship. Just as children pass through a series of milestones on their way to maturity, believers go through transformational passages through, throughout their way to spiritual maturity. Our dear friends and pastor, fellow pastor Ben, they're watching physical transformation take place in Mr. Hunter. He's gonna go through these different milestones and it won't be too long that we'll be chasing that boy up and down these halls because he's gonna learn how to walk and when he learns how to walk, it's all over by then. By the, I'm just telling you, it's over with then. You, you got control right now. But when he starts walking, you think you've got control. I'm just telling you, they're taking off. His physical transformation takes place. He's going to go through those milestones. As a Christ follower, if we don't see those spiritual markers and milestones along the way, somewhere along the way, they miss the mark or misunderstood or we did a poor job of articulating that message. Spiritual transformation is a milestone marker as we continue in the process. Now, with that said, let me give you the message. There's four dimensions of spiritual transformation. Number one, developing our relationship with Christ. That's simple. Starts there. One of my dear, dear brothers is in heaven today. One of the great street evangelists I ever knew. His name was Leo Humphreys. Leo Humphreys was a street evangelist from New Orleans. He used to run around with a guy named Arthur Blessed. Maybe you know who he is. He's an old street evangelist himself, stood, dragged a cross around the nation. Back in the Jesus Revolution in the 70s, he and Blessed used to travel, and Blessed would walk carrying that, that cross, and, and Leo would get a plane and fly to the next city. He said, I'm not walking that far. I'm not that spiritual. 
But Leo used to tell me all the time, we would talk about our spiritual journeys when we were in Central America preaching on the streets together in, in, in Salvador and Honduras and, and Guatemala. I, he would say, tell me what's going on in your life spiritually. I said, well, man, I'm just kind of struggling. He said, well, go back to where you weren't and start there. You see, folks, let me tell you something. There's no sin in us realizing that we need to go back sometimes and begin to start where it all begins. And it all begins in the person of Jesus Christ develop our relationship in Christ Jesus. We get our daily growth and spiritual nourishment from the same source that we got our eternal life, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. One of the launch verses in my life is John 15, verse 5. Where Jesus was, had done the upper room scenario and he grabs the, dis, the disciples and he walks down the stairs and by the valley of Kidron to the Mount of Olives and he breaks off the branch and he gives this wonderful discourse in John 15 and he gets to verse five and he says these words, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. It all starts with us understanding that he's the vine and we stay connected to the vine. And when we're connected to the vine, we will produce fruit. Folks, let me tell you something. It's time for every one of us. And I had this epiphany this week in my own personal life. I had this thought in my own life this week. Am I producing fruit? I confess to the Lord that sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm not producing fruit as I should. So I committed my life, said, Lord, as long as I've got air in my body and blood flowing through my lung, through my veins, I want to be connected to you in such a way that I bear fruit for your glory. Begin developing our relationship with Christ. He goes on to say in John 17, verse 21, turn with me to that, listen to what it says, and I and they are all one, even as thou, Father, in, art in me and I in thee, and they also believe in this, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. He's actually saying we must be connected one to another. Jesus' desire is for us to have the same kind of relationship that he had with his heavenly father. And also, developing our relationship with Christ is that we grow to the point that he lives his life through us and in us and through us. Galatians chapter two tells us such a beautiful portrait. Picking it up in verse 19, Galatians chapter two, it says these words, for the law, for through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and is no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself for me. I brought a little piece of paper that I've been carrying around in my wallet for about 30 years now. Say, wow, you do. I, I take it out occasionally because I'm afraid I'm going to tear it because it's ratted and torn. I had the privilege of sitting on the front porch having a glass of iced tea with a lady up in North Carolina. It's been about 25 years ago now. She was a dear, dear saintly lady. She was one of Billy Graham's spiritual prayer partners. And she was, her name is Miss Bertha Smith. Miss Bertha Smith, one of the godly, godly saints, and gone on to be with the Lord. 
And I had the privilege, a pastor I was speaking for at a harvest day at his church knew Miss Bertha. She was not a member of his church, but she knew him well enough, her well enough that he could call and go by and visit with her. And so it was a spring afternoon in North Carolina, and, I, and he said, would you like to go see Miss Bertha Smith? I said, I, I'll do I, anything uh, but give you the love offering. <laughs> I won't do that, but uh, no. I said, I'll do anything to go, because I've been hearing about Miss Bertha Smith my entire ministry life. I said, absolutely, I'd love to. Can we get an audience with her? He said, oh, yeah, we, can, we could probably go by. We'll, why we, won't we be able to spend, because she's getting up in age, we won't be able to spend but a few minutes with her more than likely. And I said, well, that's great. If I could just go and just, just I just want to meet her one time, and I just want to meet somebody like that. So we go, and we set an appointment. It's late in the afternoon, and we go, and she's sitting on the porch. And we walk up to her front porch and sit down and, the lady that attended her, worked, worked with her, came out and said, would y'all like a glass of tea? I said, absolutely. So we're sitting there drinking a glass of iced tea with Miss Bertha, and she starts asking me about my ministry, and like I really had anything to talk about. Miss Bertha prays with Billy Graham and others, and I mean, my goodness, what am I going to talk about? She said, Dan, I want to, I want to, she, she called me Mr. Moran. I don't know why, I was young. She said, Mr. Moran, I want to hear about your stuff. And I, so I told her about what we're doing in Honduras and other areas, and and she said, can I give you something? I said, yes, ma'am. So she reached over the table, and this one little piece of paper was laying there. And, and it's based on the verse that I just read. And the front of it says, not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. He said, Lord, hand the proud, the stiff neck, and at their stiff necked eye, help me to bow the neck and die, emboldening in holding him on Calvary who bowed his head for me. And she said, Every time you get to where you feel like you're somebody, will you read that inside and read that out? I said, I, okay, and so I kind of took that, I'm like, what, what is she saying? So I folded it up just like that and stuck it in my, my wallet. And every time I feel like I'm accomplishing something or I kind of get stiff-necked a little bit, somebody comes along and says, wow, you're so cool. I, I remind myself I have this. It's not me. It's Christ who lives in me. And so, folks and brothers and sisters, when we are developing our relationship with Christ, it's not about us. It's all about him. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith. I live by faith every step of the way. Every breath I take is by faith. Every step we take in this journey together as a body of Christ is by faith. So developing our relationship with Christ. Secondly, second dimension of spiritual transformation is developing our relationship with believers. John chapter 13, I want you to notice this. Chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Notice what the writer says. A new commandment, I, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men, there's that word, all, all men will know that you are my 
disciples if you have loved one another. Begs the question, are you loving your neighbor as yourself? It's easy to love ourselves, isn't it? But then I go back to Miss Bertha's little handout and it reminds me that it's not about me being stiff-necked and loving who I am. It's all about Christ in him who died for me. And the command that he's given us and the directions that he's given us is to develop our relationship with believers. The mark of a church, a true New Testament church, is the warm, loving relationship believers enjoying one another. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27, although we met many, many, many backgrounds and cultures and ideas and opinions and experiences, we have a common bond in the person of Jesus Christ. When you look at the mission, well, it's not a mission statement. It's just kind of a slogan of our church. What does it say about First Baptist Fairpen? One faith. What? Say it with me. One faith. What's the next word? One what? One focus and one fellowship. We are one in the body of Christ here. It's time for us to love one another. Amen? Continue loving one another. Developing our relationship with believers. Third spiritual transformation dimension is this. Developing our relationship with unbelievers. Developing our relationship with unbelievers. Those who are objects of the Father's love and concern must be our, on our hearts and on our minds as well as encouraging one another. Believers have been given the ministry of the message of reconciliation as ambassadors, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are his spokesman, the ambassador of the great great message of Jesus Christ and with all power of the Holy Spirit we are his witnesses to those who are nearby us and to those that are end of the earth by but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon me and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem Judea and Samaria and the the remotest part of the earth I want to make a statement to you and I'm just going to say it out loud On my watch, missions and presenting the message of Jesus Christ is not up for debate. It is not an elective that we choose. We are all been called to on this great mission. If you are saved by his grace, he didn't say, oh, by the way, I'm going to save you, but I want you to sit down and do nothing. Until there's air has been sucked out of your lungs for the last time. You draw your last breath on this planet and your next breath in glory, you are still on mission. Every one of us. It's not up for debate. It's not an elected that we choose to sign up for. It's not a life group class. It's a lifestyle. So developing our relationships with unbelievers is essential in spiritual transformation. Developing our relationship with Christ, with a relationship with other believers and unbelievers, and finally developing Christian disciplines. Developing Christian disciplines. And what are you thinking about? What are you saying here, Dan? The Christian life is built on important disciplines. 
And they're very simple. It's simply pouring your life into the word every day. Spending time in the word every day. Praying every day. Worshiping him in spirit and in truth every day. Don't just wait to come on Sunday. This is celebration day. Worship is a lifestyle and it begins every day. Spending time in the word, spending time on your face in prayer, worshiping every day and witnessing every day. You say, wait a minute, I'm not one of those guys, Dan, you talked about early in the sermon, the evangelist kind of guy. Who says you're not? Who says you're not? If you're saved by his grace, you should be excited about sharing the story. I couldn't wait to get to Georgia today. I couldn't wait. I knew I was going to bump into somebody that was going to be smiling today. Because if I'd have gone in South Alabama, there's a lot of people that ain't, they're not smiling today. Because they have their faith and trust in that. Folks, let me tell you something. I'm excited today because Jesus Christ is Lord and he's given us another opportunity to witness for him. He's not returned for the church yet. Discipline in the word, praying every day, worshiping every day, witnessing every day, and faithfully participating in the fellowship of other believers. These activities that I just listed, they will not produce mature Christians. They will not produce mature Christians. But what they will do, they will help a mature Christian to grow to be what God intended for them to be. And that is a reflection of his glory. Spiritual transformation is God's work in changing a believer into the likeness of Jesus by creating a new identity in Christ and by empowering a lifelong relationship of love, trust, and obedience that simply glorifies Jesus Christ. The question begs today, are you on a spiritual transformation journey? If not, do you want to start now? If you are, rejoice. Keep going. Stand firm. Keep moving forward. Because the best is yet to come.